Hello and welcome to the very first inaugural episode of Sticks in the Six. I'm here with Peter Barracchini, um, a, a fellow writer at the Hockey Writers. Um, you know, this is a new podcast, Peter, and uh, it's something that uh, you and I have kind of been going back and forth on for a little yes. while. And, um, you know, both both covering the Maple Leafs. It's uh, obviously hockey is a passion. The Leafs are a passion, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully, we can get that uh, that audience that kind of wants to stick with us and and hear what we have to say every once in a while uh try and make it a weekly weekly thing you and i meeting up um for those absolutely for those listening this is the first time peter and i have actually spoken aside from uh our slack messages back and forth (laughs) a little a little you know first formal meet and greet in person through a camera lens yeah, nothing wrong with that. And uh, you know, as uh, as the show goes on, we hope to grow as as uh, as the host of this show. Mm-hmm. We hope that the listeners will grow with us, and uh, you know, hopefully, this team will stick together and they'll slowly grow with us as well. As we've seen over the years, that's not always the case. Knock on wood. Yeah. Knock on wood. Right now, that's the main thing that we got to do. Um, I mean, the way that this team has just blowing our minds through like you know every single season since the rebuild started it's just progressively got better and better and better and let's just ride it out let's just keep it going i like i like your thinking peter um so let's start off let let our uh, our listeners kind of get to know us as uh, as people as writers and uh okay so so peter get take it away so i've basically gone involved with hockey since i was a little kid around three or four years old, watching my first Leafs game. Um, obviously took note of Max Sundin. He was a pivotal uh, player that I always idolized growing up. Um, from there, I just started collecting Maple Leaf cards, uh, hockey books, pronouncing their names, um, putting the stickers accordingly into like the old 90s books and stuff like that. And from there, it just the passion in me grew more and more just watching the game, analyzing it. Even when I was playing, um, it went to university for journalism, uh, obviously did some, uh, past production with the Toronto Marlies games here for local TV station. And that to me was my big stepping stone into the industry or trying to get more involved with it. Um, done some like on and off blogging in the past and then found my way at the hockey Raiders recently. So, um, it's just been a really, really exciting ride to get to this point. Um, really looking forward to what the future holds in store, not just for myself, but for the team as well. Um, I'm just, yeah, that's basically my past. Uh, it's been uh, obviously kind of difficult growing up in a household where you both have, or where I have, sorry, a uh, Habs fan and Bruins fan. So there's that, you know, disconnect already right now. And it's been it's been pretty interesting. So look at that. Like, we've known each other for, what, you know, 10 minutes now. And uh, already, um, you know, there's so much in common. I uh, That would be tough growing up in that kind of household, for sure. <laughs> um, I, I, my dad, uh, he's, he's a Blackhawks fan, so it's always been... You know, he's he's had the the opportunity to see a few championships now, and um, you know, nothing to brag up, about. Nothing to brag about. That's right. <laughs> yeah, but you know, growing up, the Blackhawks weren't on on TV for us, so I grew up watching the local team, and and I grew up in Oakville, so not far from you. Um, 
And uh, yeah, it was Leafs were on TV. I was the same same uh, kind of age range there with with Sundin being the the prime uh, the prime guy when uh, when I was uh, growing up. And you know, I was I was like you, you know, watch the games and uh, keep the stats and, and and write down the names of who scored and who got the assists. And if I missed it, uh, I'd wake up early the next morning before school and and make sure I I caught the highlights or check the newspaper and had a nice stack of, uh, you know, scrap paper with all these names and stats written on it. And eventually, you know, eventually mom cleans the room and just, uh, decides to throw it out. But, you know, that was kind of my introduction to hockey and, um, didn't play a lot when I was younger, uh, didn't start playing until I was 10. And, and like you, I decided to go the journalism route and took my master's of journalism at, uh, Western university in London. And, uh, from there I've had a couple stints at CBC with uh, hockey night in Canada uh, I worked the the 2014 Olympics uh, video in, intake uh, in Toronto, and uh, yeah, it's been it's been quite a ride. And I'm going into my eighth year with the Hockey Writers, and uh, you know I've had the opportunity to work with some great writers. I've had the opportunity to interview some fantastic players, and um, you know as as my wife I'm sure would tell you that uh, you know I've had the opportunity to leave the house and, and go and and uh, experience some fantastic amazing things including you know the the all-star game in nashville about a week before our wedding so uh, i'm not sure she was all that happy but at the same time i wasn't the greatest planner and uh i'm sure it was nice to get me out of her hair for a little bit as long as you made it back in time that's all that matters right i was was there the day of for sure (laughs) oh wow cutting it close then (laughs) um but um yeah so like i said uh brand new podcast in association with the hockey writers uh, something that you and I both decided to get going. We're both kind of new to the the podcasting realm. Yep. Um, so that being said, excuse any technical difficulties. Uh, we've already had a few off uh, off mic. So that's, uh, you know, get those out of the way, get those jitters out of the way. And, um, you know, it's, uh, we're, we're talking today, we are just ahead of game five. So Sunday, August 9th is, is when uh, Peter and I are, are, are speaking here and game five is set to go tonight. Um, and, and Peter, just what, what have you seen through this, these first four games that maybe the, the least can capitalize on going into this, going into this uh, game five? Well, first things first, I don't think I've seen a series as intense as this one. And this is talking about, you know, the 2013 Bruins series, um, the last two series against Boston, the first series back in 2016-17 against Washington. It's just a whirlwind of emotions right now, considering the state of where we are right now in the world. Um, obviously, with the pandemic, it's a different game than what we're used to. But seeing the players just go at it like it's a normal game when there are no fans in the stadium, they're playing like they got the fans behind them. And I just want to point that out first before I get into like any sort of analysis that they're using that to their advantage. Um, really try to get motivated as each game goes on. And throughout the whole entire series, I think it's just been a steady progression of just maturity. And obviously they've had a lot of mistakes in the past in regards to, you know, defensive structure and uh, playing their own zone. This is about as good as I've seen them play defensively this whole year. And this is without Jake Muzzin, who's been a rear guard on the back end, big time minutes, penalty kill in the last two games. 
So I'm seeing a lot a sense of maturity and acceptance of who they are as an identity or for their identity as a whole for a team. And I think they're starting to come together right now. Yeah, I think uh, kind of going off what you said, I think it's crazy to watch these games without any fans in the seats. Um, you know, I, I, the NHL is obviously trying to do a, a good job kind of emulating what would be a normal atmosphere for these these playoff type games. Um, but, you know, it, it'd be something if they never went back to having fans in the seats because the way they're doing it right now, it just, you know, it's, there's still that excitement there. There's still, you know, the, the way the players are celebrating after goals and, and all that kind of stuff. It's still, you know, it has that it rings true to what what a NHL game kind of brings to the table. But, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I tend to agree with you. I think this has been a real roller coaster of, of a, of a series for, for Toronto and, and Columbus for that matter. Um, I Definitely. think it's yeah. just, you know, we're, we're talking about how, you know, three, three goal deficits given up and it just, you don't see that in series anymore. It, you know, back, back when scoring was a little bit more prevalent, it's, you know, it's something that maybe was not a little bit, not as much, you know, unheard of, but you know, in today's game, you don't see as many goals, but this series has really just taken that to a whole new level. And, and uh, you know, forget about the goalies in this one. I mean, you can talk about instances where they made big saves and came up big for their team. But I mean, when it comes down to it, it's, it's when the teams decide to buckle down and, and start to put the puck in the net that really, you know, changes the outcome of each of these games. Out of all the play in series, I mean, not to throw like any of the other series under the bus or not like give them the recognition because every single series was like, you know, there was a big storyline in there. Montreal knocking out the Sydney Crosby and the Pens. The Carolina Hurricanes just look absolutely dominant. But this one here, this is as exciting as it gets. I mean, like you said, one three nothing lead, blown, gone. Another three nothing lead, blown, gone. And it's just this is what playoff hockey is all about. Yeah. Simple and I, as that. You know, yeah. I, I tuned, I know for game four, I tuned in right, in the, right as the third period started. And, you know, I, I, I saw the third Columbus goal and my, my reaction, I, I turned to my wife and I just said, yeah, it's over. Uh, and I, you know, being, having watched the Leafs over the years, you kind of, yeah. you get, that's your, your immediate reaction. That's what you're used to. Absolutely. Um, and then, you know, they got the one and then they got the two. And then all of a sudden, you know, I got to ask you about this because I was sitting there 39 seconds left and you see Nylander get the puck. And one of his go-to moves is to backpedal into his own end and, and yep. puck handle it and turn and twist and try and get away from the defender. And I like, I mean, in this instance, he went all the way back to the end boards and I was, I was ready to just lose my mind because <laughs> he had, he had nowhere to turn. And it looked like he was not going to get out of that one. And then all of a sudden, he turns it right back up ice. And we're, we're talking about a tie game. So I, I know at that instance, I was pulling my hair out. What was going on in your mind? Um, pulling my hair out is an understatement. Um, I was obviously, you know, we've seen some things in the past that we are not really proud of in terms of like, you know, elimination games or like, you know, lack of effort and stuff like that. But I was... I'm, I'm going to be honest. I was yelling at my TV. I'm saying, what are you doing? Get the puck in. Try and get something set up. But in the same instance, that was the right thing to do. Take the time. Reevaluate your scenario. And then if you see an opening, go for it. And 
after that point that he turned around, obviously I can't look into his eyes and see like, or to go into his mind of what he was doing, but you saw something that he was determined to get something going. And as soon as he gets that puck in, as soon as they get set up, and as soon as I see Hyman get that puck and just rip it five hole through Merzlikens, um, I was, I my jaw dropped, my jaw dropped. I did not know what to say. I couldn't speak. I'm just like, am I witnessing this? Because we have, as you said before, we have seen so many things in the past that we are always on the wrong end of history. That this time, it could be a major game changer for them heading into game game five. And if they're able to play the way they did in those final three minutes for a full 60, it's a really good advantage to have if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs right now. Yeah, I, I think I think you're spot on there. I, I, it comes down to just, I mean, even if you can play, you know, 50 out of the 60 minutes and, and, and not give up that 10 minute uh, window that you know, you had in game four, I, I think that was the biggest thing. They had that 10 minute window where they just, they didn't buckle down. They just kind of let, they, they almost played soft. Right. And that's, yeah. you know, that's one of the biggest problems that we've had in the past is that they just, they don't, they play soft. They don't have that, that tough go-getter grinder that's willing to, you know, lay it all on the line. But that being said, in that last little bit of the third period in game four, um, one of the things I noticed was that there were far more, big physical plays than I'm used to in terms of watching the the top end players of that team. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you saw Matthews throw a big check in the corner. Uh, you saw Tavares go to the net, uh, you know, throw a check behind the net. Um, you know, they, they, they were laying down in front of the puck trying to block that empty net, uh, you know, and it just, it just seemed like things were kind of coming together for this team. And, and you almost, even though you didn't want to believe it, you almost felt like, you know, something's going to change here. There's, there's a tide changing in this game. And, you know, when Nylander turned it back up and and the play just developed so well for them, um, that to me, that, and the, and the fact that, uh, you know, a Columbus shot ended up in the side of the net rather than in the empty net, that to me were, were big moments where I said, okay, something is, something's changing here. And, and, uh, you know, it might be in favor of the Maple Leafs. Yeah, definitely with those three empty net chances, the hockey gods for once were finally on the Leafs side. Um, but like you said before, like there was a lot more physicality, especially coming from the top players. And I've seen this is the first I've seen Matthews be more using his size to his advantage, getting into the dirty areas and using it to throw the opponents off. Because in the like his first two seasons, we never saw that intimidating force, but we're seeing it now. But how much do you think? of an impact that we're seeing right now is coming from players like Jason Spezza who dropped the gloves, which I was kind of sh- shocked to see, but Hey, it was, uh, it was the start of something that was going to happen later on, or even Kyle Clifford who brings that mean physical game as well. Yeah, I think, I think, you know, it's, I was going to talk to you about the fourth line and, and how, you know, they oh. might not be the biggest in terms of, um, putting up offensive numbers, but the key is that they they possess the puck. They they find ways to hold on to it and make those changes in the offensive zone uh, to get those top end players out against maybe you know a, a smaller defensive pairing instead of Seth Jones and Zach Wierenski. 
Um, they give that that opportunity to the Maple Leafs. Um, they throw around their body. Clifford, I mean, he's he's a guy on a mission. Like he's not he's not laying down for anybody. If he if he sees an opportunity to finish a check, he's going in there. He's he's throwing the body, but he's going to also play the puck. He's not he's not that goon type player where he's just going to go and and yeah. rough people up. He's looking to make the plays as well. You know, he might not be the most skilled player, but that being said, he, he's doing what he can to try and help that club. Yeah. Um, in terms of Spezza, I mean, I read a, I read a tweet from Damian Cox, um, where he just kind of, he called out Spezza and, and, and the people that, uh, not, 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 not necessarily called out Spezza, but called out the people that were pro fighting mm-hmm. and, uh, I saw and that. Said, yeah. And, yeah. And said it had nothing to do with the, the, the tides of the game changing. I, I have to say, like, I'm not, I'm not pro fighting. I'm not anti fighting. I think it happens if it happens you know, almost naturally, then it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like you mentioned, Spets is a guy who, who's not known for throwing down the mitts. He's not, he's not known for, you know, chucking knuckles and, and yet there he was, this is a guy at the, at the tail end of his career looking for any, any chance to, to go for the cup. And, you know, this was him being a leader saying, you know what, I'm going to put myself out there, set the tone, it's going to be a physical one, and if that means that I throw down the mitts, that means I'm throwing down the mitts. And I think that's what he did. Yeah, Columbus scored again after he fought. Yeah, you know, it took the least another 15 minutes to actually get themselves kind of into the game. But it's the leadership that he showed that changes the tide of the game. Mm-hmm. That's 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 what changes the tide of the game. Not the fight necessarily itself, but the the veteran leadership the guys on the bench that are, you know, sitting there at 2018, 25 saying, this is a guy who's willing to put everything on the line. This is a guy with a family that he's not seeing right now. And he's, you know, he's, he's throwing everything out there. Um, and, and, you know, let's, let's go back him up. And I think that's where, that's where I disagree with what Damian Cox was saying yeah. in that it, you know, it does change the tide of the game. It might not be immediate, but it does happen over time. And it, sometimes it just takes your teammates to, to recognize what you're going out there and, and putting out to uh, to get it done. Especially in the playoffs, too. I mean, that is a really gutsy thing to do when you're minutes away from elimination. You got to do something. And for me, I in addition to Spezza, you know, dropping the mitts, seeing Morgan Riley break his stick in half on the bench after the 3-0 goal, I think that set a fire in him because he was one of the best defensemen in this series that the Maple Leafs have ever had. And I know Morgan has had a tough, tough season dealt with injuries. There was that period where he was out six to eight weeks. And during the camp, he seemed like a whole different player, but for him to break his stick and show that kind of emotion. And even when he was on the ice in the latter parts of that series of that game, we saw the Morgan Riley. And I mentioned this uh, on Twitter before that was the best we've seen Morgan Riley in some time. Yeah, and I, you know what, I don't disagree, and you know that's that's the big thing in these series. You're looking for all all your guys to step up, all your players to step up, mm-hmm. and you know whether it's a Morgan Riley, whether it's you know a Matthews that you, you count on night in and night out, or if it's a guy like Alex Kerfoot or or Nick Robertson, which I'm sure we will get to in this podcast, but. You know, oh, those yeah. those are the guys you're looking to step up. And, you know, for a guy like Morgan Riley to to come out and show emotion and, and, and realize that, you know, the play that he made was, you know, oh, so, 
oh so questionable at that at his own blue line. It's you know defenseman one hundred and one. Don't play the don't yeah. stick handle the puck if you're the last guy back. And uh, you know he gave it up. He, he you know they they went in and scored, but mm-hmm. the key was coming back and making up for your mistake. And I think he did that in a big way in, in terms of shutting them down in overtime and shutting them down in those last three minutes and and getting yeah. back out there and just kind of. Letting it, letting it leave your mind, forgetting about the mistake that you made, and coming back out there and, and doing what you need to do. For sure, and I, I'm I'm not trying to like put fully blame Riley on that play, but when Columbus is clogging up that neutral zone and he has no outlet pass whatsoever, when you're in that situation, it's difficult to try and find something or just to make a play itself. I mean, if he tried to like shoot it down and ice it, that probably would have not gone fairly well. I don't know if I can't, I can't remember if like it a change was just made or players are out there for quite some time, but it's a, it's a difficult spot. I'm not denying that. Um, I just want to go back to what you were talking about the fourth line before looking at the stats of the whole entire series, the top two percentage, uh, well, possession players, Corsi four percentage for the Leafs at five on five in the series I want to ask who you think are are the top two right now. For for the uh, the Leafs, yes. Uh, I believe the top two. Just a shot in the dark. I'm gonna go with. Um, I want to say Tavares is one of them, and I'm gonna say that uh, Spets is the other. Okay, so. F- I know natural stat trick doesn't have like one, two, three, four, but one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So Spezza is seventh. I'm sorry I had to count that out loud. Um, but Spezza is seventh and Tavares is six. Top two possession players, Pierre Engvall and Kyle Clifford. Wow. And wow. that says a lot. Sure does. Considering the fourth line had a really bad game. Gautier comes out, Engvall comes in. That's just like a shot of adrenaline to that line. And they were flying out in games two. One of the best lines in three before the collapse. Same thing with four before the final three minutes. So this fourth line right here, if you're Sheldon Keefe, do not touch that line. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. I think I think they've earned themselves a little bit more ice time in the, in the way that they've played. I mean down the stretch in game four, who was out there? It was line one and line four. It wasn't, you know, yeah. two and three were, were pasted to the bench. So I think, uh, you know, I mentioned it in, in the piece that you released a while back on, on the hockey writers. And I thought Kyle Clifford was going to be a major player in this, in this yeah. series. And I still do. I think the physicality, I think it just brings a whole new level to this team that, uh, you know, they don't have against the Bruins. They don't have against Washington three years back. They, you know, it's, it's something that, um, they need a little bit more of, and if if a guy like Clifford can go out there and set the tone, then um, I think it's something that the players kind of feed off of. Um, but one guy I want to talk to you about, we haven't really mentioned him yet, is is Mitch Marner, and I think he's been taking a lot of flack uh, on social media and from from Leafs Nation in terms of you know some of the some of the things he's done so far in this series, and and you know didn't have any shots in in, in one game, and. Um, you know, came out the next one and, and, you know, just didn't seem to be himself, the, the magician, you know, that yeah. he is on the ice and having watched him here in London for a little while, he, you know, 
his talent is is you know there's no ceiling to what he's able to do and uh mm-hmm. i think i think that he hasn't been getting enough uh credit for what he's done especially on this Tavares Matthews martyr line that's been kind of mixed and mashed and put together yeah. um but i also think that he he's a guy that doesn't shoot enough and doesn't give himself enough opportunities when when they present themselves in the offensive zone Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm like you said, I'm a huge Mitch Marner fan. I mean, what he does with the puck is unbelievable. But yeah, he needs to shoot the puck more. Like there's there's so many times even during the series, but like la- this year, last year, the year before that, he's always in pass first mode. And I'm all for that. But like you said, if you have a clear shot, shoot the puck. And I think it was I can't remember what part of the game it was at. I'm pretty sure it was towards the end. He took a one-timer from the uh, left hand on his off wing, and it made it to the net. And it was like a really difficult save uh, for Merzlikens to make. That's what I want to see more of. Yeah, you got Matthews with his shot. You got Tavares in the in the bumper position where he could just throw it on net, which he got a really nice goal top corner. But yeah, I don't understand. Like I can under, I'm pretty. I I don't want to speak for anybody, but the whole contract negotiation left a sour note in a lot of people's mouth, more so than I think than the William Nylander contract negotiation did. And I don't think it's fair to. I I mean, I don't think it's fair to just pin it on him and be like, oh, he hasn't scored, he hasn't had a shot, ten million, trade him. It's it's a difficult situation because he's not a shoot first kind of player. Yeah. And, and you know what? He's never, he never has been, um, mm-hmm. that that's where I think the mentality has to change a little bit for this guy. I mean, don't get me wrong. He's, he's an assist machine. He's, he's always going to be a playmaker over a shooter, but this kid has a shot and he, yeah. I mean, you mentioned it got to the net. He sees the holes. He finds ways to get it to the net, which, you know, a lot of players suffer with. And, and, um, you know, he even rang one off the crossbar in in the last game, and it, you know those are the things that you, you those are the opportunities that you need to capitalize on. Whether you have a Matthews on your line, whether you have a Tavares on your line, whether you have a Nylander on your line, and I, going back to that contract negotiation, I think the reason it left a sour note in a lot of people's mouths is because they didn't they didn't expect that from Mitch Marner, whereas I think a lot more people expected it from William Nylander. Yeah. Um, Nylander was a guy, you know, you go back to when, when his dad, Michael Nylander played and how many times he held out for contracts. And it was just kind of a, yeah, you know, it was cut and dry expectation. This is what's going to happen. Whereas, you know, Marner, they Toronto kid, you know, this is what they expect from him. And, and, you know, um, when he held out, it just, it just kind of, you're right. It's, it it turned a lot of people a little bit sour. Mm -hmm. And I think he's, he's done a fairly good job at winning them back. It's just, a matter of, you know, get us get us over that hump, get us to that next level, show us that you're the guy that you know is worth the the money that we're paying you, and uh, I think that's where that's where there's a little bit of uh, work that needs to be done still. Yeah, I mean, this year he had 67 points in 59 games. I mean, in the regular season, that's nothing to laugh at, especially the fact that you know he missed some time off because of a foot injury. And he missed, you know, maybe I can't, I can't remember at the top of my head, two to four weeks. That was the time frame for that. But 
I remember seeing somewhere that I think that if he like, you know, he was on a pace to get the same amount of points that he would have or close to, I think maybe a 80, 90 point pace for this year. If he wasn't injured, that's still nothing to like to sneer about. No, hundred percent. And even so right now, just top three players. For the least scoring in this round against uh, Columbus, Austin Matthews, six points. William Nylander, four points. Mitch Marner, four assists, no goals. Yeah. That's, you're not going to – I mean, yeah, he needs to shoot the puck more, but since the very beginning, he's always been a playmaker, always a pass-first kind of guy. And I remember back when I I just noticed something about him and his hands and his vision that he was going to be really special. Leafs have something like that right now. They have four players that are really special up in the top six. I want to see these guys win multiple championships together. Yeah, I think I think championships. I think individual awards. I think it's all all um, doable with the the core that they have. It's just a matter of finding those those small pieces, those those intangible players that you can stick into the lineup and fill those gaps. And I think, like you mentioned earlier, you know, one of those one of those pieces is Jake Muzzin. He's a guy that you know they're going to miss tonight, and they missed for most of the series. And um, you know, those are the pieces that kind of get you that next level, and and uh, can help you on your back end, where you know, at least for in the Leafs situation, they've got a lot of offensive minded defensemen, and and it kind of it does play against them at times. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think what like. Yeah, I even said last year that Kyle Dubas should, you know, address the fact that and find that balance on defense. Like, you already have Morgan Riley, who could carry and move the puck. Travis Durbin is in that wheelhouse. Rasmussen Dean is going to be in that wheelhouse. You need to find another player like Jake Muzzin, who can shut it down, who can eat minutes, who could be an asset. If you can find him, if he could play both on power play and penalty kill. This year on defense, the free agent market... I don't know what his mindset is, but even if he tries to like use a Kasperi Kapanen and Alexander Kofford or Andreas Janssen to bring that kind of player in, do it. You have some assets that you could even use from the Toronto Marlies. Use it. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, um, you know, they're not hurting up front for talent. And, and that was obvious in, you know, we've, we've had the chance to see Nicholas Robertson, get a chance to play here in the playoffs or they're playing around. I think I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I'm working on those. <laughs> um, and, you know, 18 years old, this kid's from the Peterborough Peets had an unbelievable regular season uh, last year before the season was cut short or, or I guess this season rather, yeah. um, you know, able to get his first NHL goal has for a small guy, in my opinion, stood his own in, in terms of the physical play. Um, you know, there, there are some players that are trying to go after him. He's a little bit smaller, try and push him off the puck. He's got that low center of gravity. He's able to kind of push back and lean into them and utilize that to mm-hmm. control the puck. And the speed is just unbelievable. What have you seen from Nicholas Robertson? I, you know, I don't want to get too deep into him. Um, I, I don't think we've seen enough of him yet. That being said, yeah. there's a lot of speculation that when, if the Leafs make the next round, there is potential when Janssen is ready to come out and play that Robertson's the one that comes out of the lineup. Yeah. I mean, like you said, 
Janssen coming in, Robertson's the youngest one. He's obviously on the short end of that. Might as well. I mean, it's not fair, but it, if someone is going to come out of the lineup, it is probably going to be Nick Robertson, which I don't know if that's the right move to do. Don't fix anything that's not broken because you're finding some success with him in the lineup right now. My big thing or one thing that I'm really intrigued seeing him play I mean, you already talked about his ability to be a fierce competitor, go into the corners, and not get intimidated by the bigger guys. I've I've seen some like a lot of clips of him in Peterborough where he's been on the penalty kill, but his attention to transition to defense is on point, and I think that's what they want to see in him. And Kyle Dubas has said that, you know, he that was one of the aspects of his game that was really underrated and they loved about it and they wanted to see more of it. So a couple times where the puck was in deep, Nick Robert, uh, Robertson was a high forward puck is quickly coming out. He's the first forward back and his attention to detail to like be in position at the right time. I think that's going to serve well for him and serve well for the team. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think, like I said, I don't think we've seen enough of him yet to really pick apart his game all that much. But mm-hmm. having seen what he did in junior and, and what he's done so far in, in the Leafs lineup, I think it's, it was a great move to stick him in there and give him a taste of, of what it's like playing with the, the big boys. And, uh, you know, I think so far, so good. I think there's rooms, room to de- develop, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's where his defensive game kind of will will take that next step uh, as as he gets a little bit older, gets a little bit more mature and, and gets used to be, you know, being in the big league. Right. Um, yeah. Moving on, I, I want to take a look at game five tonight. So obviously yeah. when this comes out, game five will have happened. There um, will that- be a winner. We don't there, know there, who. there will be a winner. Yes. <laughs> and we do. We have no idea. I swear we have no idea. Um, that being said, a couple of small news clips leading into the game. Muzzin skated this morning, still mm-hmm. won't be back in the lineup. He's out of the, uh, the little quarantine that he was in. Um, I think they're still playing it safe. Yeah. Uh, especially because it was a neck or nerve injury. Um, I mean, just, just to be careful. That's really great news to hear. Like, yeah. No matter who you're rooting for, whether you're a Leaf fan, whether you're a Jackets fan, that's really great news to hear. Because, I mean, when I when I saw him sit upright, I'm like, okay, maybe not as bad. But then when I saw him lie back down and he was moving his, some of his extremities, hands, wrists and stuff like that and talking to the trainers. But when he wasn't getting up at all, I'm like, oh, boy, this is really, really scary. The fact that he went to the hospital, came back, no issue. Uh, taking it slow, it's the right move. As much as I want to see him back in the lineup, you you just can't. Yeah, and I, I to be honest, I was devastated to hear that Martin Marincin was going to be in the lineup in his place. That said, yep. I think he's done an all right job. He hasn't he hasn't been great. He hasn't been a standout player. That mm-hmm. being said, no no horrific plays that have led to big Columbus goals or, or, or that kind of stuff. He's played it safe. And that's, I think that's what you want from a guy like that coming into the lineup, not known for his all around skill or defensive play. He's a guy that just needs to come in, get the job done, keep it simple and come off and, 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 you know, rotate that in and out of his shifts. I think with Marincin sometimes, I think he like, he knows what he's capable of doing. I just think sometimes it looks like he's trying to do too much. 
I yeah, mean, there's, there are I, times I where he's like agree. really great in position, and yeah, he breaks up a play, and then he moves it up, and it goes the other way. It's just that consistency factor that we fail to see, and then when he does, is he tries to do too much. Either the puck bobbles over his stick. Um, it's just, it just sometimes things don't go right for him. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And um, on the other side of the puck, I think you know they're they're going to struggle a little bit with defense this uh, in game five. Um, obviously, both Ryan Murray and uh, Zach Wierenski are going to be in the lineup. That being said, we don't know the extent of uh, the injuries that they could be playing with. Um, obviously, Wierenski went for an MRI this afternoon or yesterday afternoon. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously they're good, well enough to play. Otherwise, Columbus wouldn't put them in the lineup. But both will be back in the lineup and they will be playing in front of Jonas Corposalo, who will be back in the starting cage tonight for Columbus. And as Mar- our own Mark Shag just reported, um, it looks as though Merzlikens is considered unfit to play and will not be backing Corpusalo up for this one. Yeah, I'm. I honestly was. Ex- I mean, before um, earlier in the day, he tweeted out that uh, Corpusalo was going to be in. I honestly thought that it would have been Merzlikens because of the fact that he had Toronto's number all night, shutting the door, making great save after great save. But then hearing that he in- he was injured. I'm trying to figure out where he got injured. I don't remember seeing anything or where he got out of position. It seemed like he strained something. So that to me is a little, it's a little, it's a, not like weird, but I just didn't remember seeing anything at all. Yeah. And you know what, this, this unfit to play is the new upper bo- body injury. So I, you know, it's, they don't give you much anymore, yeah. especially on a team that has torts as a coach. Uh, you're not going to get much from them. And, Oh. You know what? It's it's it is what it is. As as somebody who's you know right behind the Leafs, I, I look forward to the opportunity to uh, play Corpusalo. Um, I think Merzlikens, yeah. like you said, had their number all night. Uh, I think he's a young, agile uh, goalie who's going to be great for the Blue Jackets Definitely. for many years to come. Um, you know, and and hopefully, hopefully, it's nothing too seriously or too serious, and he's he's uh, good to go next time. Columbus hits the ice, whether it's this year or next. Um, but either way, that uh, that's kind of what we're looking at going into Game 5. Um, for me, Game 5, the keys, like you said, are Toronto having to play a full 60 minutes. Um, I think it'll be big for them to get minutes for their fourth line. I think they, they kind of control how the game is going to be played in terms of the physicality. Um, and, and being able, as you mentioned, to possess the puck, I think that allows the Leafs to make changes on the fly in the offensive zone and get the guys out there against matchups that they want to get out there against. For sure. um, going, going off of that, I think also Anderson just needs to come up with those big saves. And, uh, you know, he's three and seven in, in 10 career starts in clinching games. And mm-hmm. now is a great time to turn that record around, uh, his goals against in those games are 354. So, I mean, it's it's worth it now for him to kind of put his foot down and say, you know, enough with the criticism when it comes to playoff hockey. This is this is my team. This is how we're going to ride this year. And, and uh, he's got an opportunity to do that. I'm honestly for everyone. Obviously, Frederick Anderson coming in was going to be a big question mark because the fact that they had to restart up and, you know, he he's been known as a slow starter for the regular season. 941 save percentage. 
during the postseason right now, eight goals against, and he's in the top ten in the league. Yep. That is the Freddie Anderson that we need, and that's the Freddie Anderson that we've known that we have seen in the past, where he's capable, excuse me, of being that guy, that rear that last line of defense for the Leafs, whether it's been a slow night for him or where it's been a busy night where he's facing 50 plus shots. And the fact that Freddie came to play should be some reassurance that the league should come to play every single night, including, I mean, for game five. Yeah, no. And I, and I, I'm hoping that'll be, that'll be kind of what sets the tone early for these guys comes up with a big save early on. And, and, uh, you know, they, they kind of just feed off of that and, and, uh, you know, they, they showed that they can do get it done. It's just a matter of getting the opportunities and, and capitalizing on it when you do. My next point that I think that's, I mean, really that the Leafs have done for games two and three, get to Corpus Allo early because they have shown that when you make him busy, he's bound to make a mistake. And the Leafs, with the amount of talent that they have, if they crash down low, they're bound to put one away. So get as many shots as you can. They scored six goals straight on him before in games two and three before Merzlikens came in. So they know how to get past the Blue Jackets stifling defense. They know how to get to the middle of the ice. Just keep at it. I mean, I know it's easier said than done, but it worked for a game and 50 minutes. Yeah, no, it'll definitely be something to watch tonight. Um, and and kind of just uh, going off of that, we're going to get into just our little bit of closing NHL news here, or hockey news, rather. Uh, again, we won't delve too deeply into this at this point in time, but uh, obviously some sad news yesterday with um, former OHL, CHL, AHL player Adam Comrie passing away at the age of 30. Yeah. Um, you know, you never want to see that and, and, and gone way too early. Uh, obviously a journeyman uh, in his time uh, in the game of hockey and played the last two seasons in Austria. And um, from all the reports, it looks like it was a motorcycle accident. And, uh, you know, um, we send our best to his family, his friends, his Absolutely. teammates. Um, again, you never want to see anything like that. No. I mean, 2018-2019, EBEL champion, all-star team. I mean, he's, he's found some success in hockey, whether, you know, it may not be in North America, but he found success. And the fact that, you know, another player gone too soon, it's really disheartening. And like you said, thoughts and prayers go out to his family, friends, teammates, coaches. Um, it's, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to get a little bit choked up right now, but it's, it's definitely sad. Yeah. Um, going off of that on, on a little bit more brighter news. Um, it looks as though both the AHL and OHL have set start dates. AHL looking at December 4th, OHL looking at December 1st, still not sure whether there will be fans in the stands. Um, the OHL is looking at a 64 game regular season and, uh, you know, just uh, all around good news for these leagues. Uh, there's a lot of teams in there that, uh, you know, they, they rely on, on this, uh, on their seasons to happen. Uh, 
even the ECHL, they, they rely yeah. on their, especially the ECHL, they rely on their seasons to happen. And uh, obviously looking forward to that and uh, getting back to watching some junior hockey and, and seeing these, these young kids that are, you know, the next gen for, uh, for NHL hockey. Definitely. I mean, the OHL, yeah, I mean, there's, there's no way to put around this, but watching Shane Wright again this year or getting to watch him again is going to be a fantastic treat. I mean, this guy is unbelievable. He's, uh, I just, I'm just in shock and awe watching him play every single time. From the Don Mill Flyers till now, I'm just absolutely excited that we are going to see him, just like many were excited to see John Tavares when he got called up, or for exceptional status, Connor McDavid, Aaron Eckblad. I'm excited to see another season of Shane Wright. Oh yeah, and I I, I had the opportunity to sit down and see a game uh, live, him playing in Hamilton, and um, you know just the the respect that his teammates have for him and, and what he's been able to do as a leader on that team, as mm-hmm. such a young kid. Um, you know, it's just it's truly amazing, and it's just. It's a sign of a bright future for for hockey, and uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully, he'll have the same sort of success when he gets to the next level. And I have no doubt that he's gonna he's gonna play with that that uh, magnitude and that um, that phenomenal finesse and skill that he has right now in junior when he when he takes that next step. I mean, just looking at the roster right now, you're gonna have Shane Wright, you're gonna have Zade Wisdom, Martin Kromiak looked fantastic. Uh, Francesco Curry, he's going to be a top pick, I believe, in 2021, if I'm not mistaken. So you got some really great players already coming up through the Kings and Frontenacs right now that you're going to see a lot of great skill coming from them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely going to be a good year for the OHL. And uh, and uh, obviously, Kingston, as you mentioned, they're, they're going to have... Uh, a heck of a team and, and one that uh, could could vie for the uh, the top spot in the in the OHL for sure. On that note, Peter, it was wonderful talking to you, and there will be many more of these to come. Um, uh, obviously, you can check Peter and I out on the Hockey Writers or on Twitter. We'd love to hear what you guys think. Um, Anything else, Peter, that you want to talk about before we we uh, say good night and good afternoon and whatever you whatever you want to say for this this closing remark? Um, go Leafs, go. Go Leafs. I mean, go. Um, I mean, aside from that, um, no, it's been a real pleasure to finally get the opportunity to uh, meet to you in person, talk about hockey, and get this going because I know we've been on the topic for quite some time. Um, it's really great that, you know, we're going through with it. And like you said, I'm hoping to be a part of this for a really long time, pumping out as much content as possible and just showing our analysis, our opinions through everything uh, Toronto hockey, Toronto or Toronto centric base for, you know, both the Maple Leafs, the Marlies, um, the Toronto six for the NWHL Um I'm looking forward to this journey with you, Andrew, and let's go. There you have it, guys. And uh, obviously, moving forward, we're we're only going to get better. We're only going to we want to hear from you guys. We want to hear from our listeners. Um, from that, uh, we'll definitely look at adding a few aspects to the show that uh, 
you know, will involve our listeners. Um, and, uh, you know, the show's only going to get better, folks. So tune in, listen, subscribe, like, whatever you can do to help us, to make us better. That's what we're looking for. And sure. uh, we'll just keep pumping out the content. Yeah. Um, I've always been a proponent of, like, you know, criticisms and stuff like that. Anything that we can improve upon, because I know I stumbled a lot and was a little bit nervous at the top of the show. But as, you know, we got into the groove of things, I kind of felt a little bit more comfortable but yeah uh let us know what you all think we appreciate you for listening in and we hope you tune in next time all right folks have a good night